0: Theological education should be accessible. In the past, men have had to leave their local churches to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, you can now complete a seminary education while staying in your own church and being mentored by your own pastor. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. You are listening to Preaching and Teaching on the Man of God Network of Podcasts. This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. Another one of the works that Fuller engaged with from a polemical aspect was not necessarily a response to his gospel worthy of all acceptation, but this was something that began to go into many of the churches. He saw this happening in Presbyterian churches. It was happening certainly in uh, some of, uh, in the, uh, the general Baptist churches, not the new connection at this time, but the old connection general Baptist churches It was happening in Anglicanism, it was going on in Congregationalism, and that was a slide into Socinianism. Socinianism is named after a a Polish theologian, Faustus Socinus, who came to believe that Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh, that he was merely a man, Uh, who had a high and exalted understanding of God, who leads us to God through his ethical life, that the atoning work of Christ is not actually an atonement for sin, uh, but uh, like the the liberals of the 19th century said, is an example of devotion to God that would lead us even to the point of being willing to die, that there is no imputed righteousness. This is an irrational concept. And so, uh, Socinianism... claimed to have a rational view of Christ. They considered themselves Christians because they looked upon Christ as the best example as to how to live for God as a person who taught the right kind of virtues that we should have, but it is only by the following of these virtues in a rational way that we can be called Christians. Uh, That to Fuller was, of course, an absolute absurdity. but he looked at the Socinian system investigating it in, uh, they made the constant claim that Orthodox Christianity would not produce virtues of of patience and kindness and benevolence and security and love for God because how could you love a God who is so angry that he would condemn people in hell? How could you love a God that would send his son to die such a horrendous death Uh, How could you be virtuous if you suspected and looked at people around you thinking they were going to hell because they didn't hold your beliefs? And they had all these things saying that Socinianism freed you to be truly virtuous. And and the people who were Socinians living rational lives had the best opportunity to develop true virtue in their lives. And so, (coughs) in order to to get at Socinianism and to affirm Orthodox Christianity, Fuller investigated the system and he, and he believed that he would attack it right at the point where it claimed to be superior, superior to Christianity. And so his work was entitled The Calvinist and Socinian Systems Compared as to Their Moral Tendency. And so he selected about, I think, about 14 or 15 points at which he was going to compare Calvinism and Socinianism as to its moral tendency and he would would take basic beliefs of Christianity, compare them to what Socinians believed about that belief, and then ask the question in an a priori fashion, which one of these is likely to produce the greatest sense of morality? Since that's what the Socinians are concerned about. And in the meantime, he would give an exposition of Orthodox Christianity showing all of its implications for the production of true virtue and and morality. So he argues from this and and some people criticized him for arguing a priori, but this was the ground upon which the Socinians offered him the argument because they claimed that their beliefs would lead to greater morality. And so he said, well, I'll take them on their own ground and I'll ask the question, would these beliefs actually lead to greater morality? And so he he investigated those tendencies and showed what the normal outcome of such beliefs would be. But then he would also do an a posteriori argument taking the writings of the Socinians themselves, the admissions of the Socinians themselves, and demonstrating on many points that the very thing he predicted would result out of Socinian beliefs actually is true in Socinian congregations and in individual Socinian people. So, he is dealing specifically with Joseph Priestley, but there are uh, other Socinians that he engages, Thomas, Thomas Belsham, Uh, is is one of those, but he has a caveat at the beginning because right before he wrote this, Joseph Priestley, who was a scientist as well as a preacher, and he is the one to whom we owe all of our fizzy drinks because he is the one who discovered how to impregnate water with carbonation. He invented carbonated water. Uh, And so, I mean, it revolutionized the way people drank things. Uh, and he had his own, uh, his own scientific apparatus in his home and all this kind of thing. Well, in the Birmingham riots, where he was a pastor, there were a lot of rowdies who had been stirred up by some of the, uh, the state church Anglicans, and they, they raided his house and destroyed his scientific apparatus. There were these riots in Birmingham, and now here, Fuller is riding against, uh, riding against Joseph Priestley Uh, Was I saying Sosimus? I meant Joseph Priestley. Uh, Writing against Joseph Priestley right at the time when this terrible tragedy has happened and there have been riots and destroyed his, and so he says that he disapproves of that. If those are Orthodox people, they're not the kind of Orthodoxy that I would ever approve. They're Trinitarians. It's not the kind of Trinitarian I, I would ever approve. We must have sympathy for men as men, even though we disagree with them. In their, in their theology. And so he, he disassociated, disassociated himself from all of those riots. It was, it was this kind of rejection, this popular rejection of Priestley uh, that led Thomas Jefferson to invite him to come to America. Jefferson was very sympathetic with, with Priestley and with his, uh, his religious persuasions. And he knew that he could come to America and find freedom. And, I th- and Priestley did move to America. But this, this uh, engagement with Socinianism was something that was uh, an important theological uh, debate for Fuller. In letter one, <clears throat> Fuller states that he intends to argue largely from the a priori tendencies of orthodox evangelical Christianity to holiness and virtue compared with the a priori tendencies of Socinianism to carelessness and pride. Says there is one thing, however, in the above, above passage wherein we all unite, and this is that the value or importance of religious principles is to be estimated by their influence on the morals of men. So he he took that basic propi- uh, Socinian principle and said, "All right, I, I will accept that. I, th- I think that that is a, a valid way to look at uh, one way of evaluating the power and the truthfulness of of, of religious principles." What does it do to the morals of men? So letter two, he says that he he discusses the tendency of the respective systems to convert profligates to a life of holiness. And then he engaged in a comparative view of the evil of sin, uh, the necessity of true conversion, the equity and the goodness of the divine law. And he compared these with each other and he shows that the, the Christian view <clears throat> would call for repentance, it would call for faith in Christ, it would call for a moral energy uh, to pursue holiness, uh, it would uh, call for all kinds of things that have the tendency to produce true morality, whereas the low views of the law, the low views of, of human sin, uh, the dismissing of the necessity of, of repentance within Socinianism would leave people basically as they are, justifying their morals as, as they are. And then he discusses the actual effects, the a posteriori evidence. And so he looked at the works, uh, the work of Whitfield, the work of Edwards, the work of Tennant, the first great awakening in America, the Wesleyan revival, uh, how many profligates were converted by the preaching of these men. And then he says, has Socinianism, can they point to anything like that? Can they point to even to going to the profligate areas of society and calling for their conversion? Has there been any instance of a conversion of any numbers of profligates by Socinian doctrine? And he draws a conclusion, no. So point one, the tendency to convert profligates, people who are involved in profligacy, to a life of morality and holiness. Which one has the best tendency to do that? Christianity. Which one actually does it? Christianity. Second, the conversion of professed unbelievers. Here he's dealing with Jews and with Muslims and with Hindus and with Buddhists and uh, these who are of a different religion, who do not believe. Well, Fuller asks, which one has the... The, the, uh, the greatest tendency to, to bring conversion and then to a Christian morality. And of course, he, he described the different views of conversion, the different views of, of how you go to these. Uh, Socinians would tend to leave them alone. Socinians would tend not even to seek to bother them if they have some degree of, of, of morality and virtue that is embedded within their way of life, then, then let them work that out on their own. Uh, he shows that Christianity believes that there is the law of God; that all of these are in rebellion against God; that they're idolaters; that they cannot achieve the holiness that they need to achieve in their religions. And so, the conversion of professed unbelievers leads people to a greater uh, uh, aspect of uh, of morality than than Socinianism even tries to do. And then, a posteriori, he points to the success. Uh, visionary missionary endeavors by the Moravians. Then he points to it by Kerry by and by the Particular Baptist Missionary Society. He looks at Eliot and Brainerd going to the, the Indians and, and challenging their paganism and the conversions that happened and the, the great transformations of moral life that occurred there uh, in order to demonstrate uh, that uh, Christianity, again, is superior in this. There is a virtual complete lack of any attempts at such conversions, by Socinians. And then arguments from the number of converts to Socinians, example. Priestley wrote that people who have attained to that cool and unbiased temper of mind in consequence of becoming more indifferent to religion in general and to all modes and doctrines of it are the ones who are most likely to become Socinians. They have a cool and unbiased temper of mind. Uh, In other words, Fuller says, the best preparation for being a Socinian is being destitute of all religion. Whatever virtue there may be among Socinian converts, it may be questioned whether the distinguishing principles of Socinianism have any tendency toward promoting it. Then he dealt with other issues, the standard of morality, uh, of the, uh, uh, as a person who values the law of God and values the holiness of God and sees in the death of Christ a statement against sin, etc., does that have the greatest tendency to produce repentance, to produce morality, or that which rejects uh, the death of Christ as being necessary for? For forgiveness of sin at all is that which uh, rejects the law of God as having any absolute standard by which people will be con- uh, condemned if they, if, they, uh, if they continue in their rebellion against it. Uh, which of these has the greatest tendency uh, to uh, promote morality according to a standard of morality? And then he goes on with uh, aspects of, of love to God. Would Socinianism produce love to God? He says, no, they hardly ever talk about him. They certainly don't talk about Christ in any loving way, but look at Christians. Look at Christian hymns. Look at Christian writings. They're filled with praise of God, with praise and love to him, with love to Christ. Uh, Seeing uh, Christ as the avenue through which they know God and love God and see his beauty. It says, which one of these tends to give the greatest love to God? And then what is actually the case? What do you find in Christian worship? What do you find in a Christian willingness to deny themselves and give themselves up to something for the sake of others? And so he goes on comparing a priori, a posteriori, and and taking each one of these that are tendencies that would, would relate to moral living, showing how Christianity is superior in all of these, and so therefore Christian doctrine is superior. He deals with the issues of <clears throat> which would produce the, the greatest candor and benevolence to men. Very, very wonderful, ingenious discussions of that. Which one is the best at producing humility, comparing both systems? Which is the best at producing charity? And he, conti- he uh, considers in that the, the charge that Socinians brought against Christians of being filled with bigotry because of the confidence they had and because of the condemning aspect they had toward others. And this was very uncharitable. But then he he contrasts what actually happens in Christian faith and why you cannot be charged with bigotry. Uh, In in one of these, he says that we cannot be charged with bigotry if we consider you as not being Christian. He said, in the same way that you have called us idolaters, I do not take offense at that because indeed we are idolaters if what you say is true. If your belief that Christ is not God and we're worshiping someone who is not God and therefore we are idolaters, it is perfectly right if you believe us to be idolaters for you to say so. Perhaps if you say so with sufficient evidence, we can be rescued from our idolatry. But neither is it bigotry for me to say that you are not a Christian. If I believe that it is necessary to believe in the deity of Christ, and in the atoning work of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you believe neither in the deity of Christ nor in his atoning work, I'm perfectly justified in saying you are not a Christian without being accused, accused of being a bigot. Uh, and so the, the, the reasoning that Fuller has in this and the, the coolness and calmness of his dealing with it is really quite, quite amazing. Uh, Which system tends to give the greatest veneration for the Scriptures? It's a great defense of the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture that Fuller gives in that particular section. Which one has the greatest tendency actually to to give happiness or cheerfulness of mind? Will the person be happy who believes he has no problems and will never have any problems, and therefore no one that needs to relieve him of any problems? Will that person have an exuberant happiness of mind or just sort of a placid satisfaction with himself? or the person who believes that he is a sinner and he is under condemnation and yet someone has come in and has rescued him through pure grace and has set him on the road to heaven where he will have endless bliss, which one of these is bound to be the happiest person? And which one is bound to be the cheer, cheerful even in the face of death? Which one has the greatest motives to gratitude and obedience and heavenly mindedness? And again, he compares them a priori A posteriori, you hardly even read anything about heavenly mindedness in Socinianism. They don't seem to be excited about heaven at all. Even though they think probably everyone is going there, it's not gonna be in a special place. It's probably not gonna be different than it is here. Or on the resemblance and tendency of Socinianism to infidelity. Socinianism seems to be just a, a path along the way to deism on the one hand and then to atheism eventually. Uh, so his uh, his engagement <coughs> with the, the Socinians, the Calvinist and Socinian systems, compared it to their moral tendency. Then he also took on the a harder group, the Deists. In this he uh, he titled this book "The Gospel Its Own Witness," uh, and and again he argues from this a priori standpoint that there is a that there is a power and a cogency within the gospel, within the scripture that commends itself to, to an understanding of who God is, what he must be like, what human relationships must be like with him, that, is, that, that it far outstrips any kind of conclusions we would b- draw about God and man from, from deism. <clears throat> uh, section one, he deals with the holy nature of the Christian uh, religion. Uh, the deists, by their, professed belief, their own professed belief in God, their virtual ignoring of his infinite moral excellence, their disregard of the necessity of worshiping such a being, and the overall deleterious impact of their view shows that they really have no concern for holiness. The deist attack on Christianity largely is from its historic abuses, looking at things like the superstitions of medieval uh, pilgrimages and uh, relics and the cruelties uh, of the Crusades and taking all of these different abuses and characterizing biblical Christianity according to that. And he says, this is a, a very poor way of argument to taking that which is recognized by most Christians even as not being Christian and characterizing that as the thing against which you, uh, against which you intend to oppose, uh, that you use to oppose Christianity. Well, he argues Christianity reveals a God who is glorious in holiness. Deism denies or overlooks his moral character. Christianity teaches us to devote ourselves to his service. Deism refuses to worship him. Christianity has a standard of morality that is enlarged and free from impurity. Deism says the duties uh, focuses, focuses only on duties which respect our own uh, species and greatly palliates vice even in relationship to them. Christianity furnishes motives to a virtuous life. Deism either rejects or attempts to undermine those very virtues, laughs at them, justifies men in their sins. The lives of those who reject the gospel will not bear comparison with the lives of those who embrace it, uh, according to Fuller. And he has... uh, he compares the, the, the impact of Christianity much in the way that he did in Socinianism, what happens in revivals, what happens to people, uh, what is the, the moral texture of society is completely changed. When the gospel comes in, he changes what England was like before. Uh, the, the Great Awakening began to occur under Whitfield and, and Wesley and others, and all of the, the improvements in society that came as a result of Orthodox Christianity and applying the principles of Christianity. How deism comes in and has none of that power, none of that kind of, uh, of moral uh, energy. Christianity not only has produced good effects in those who cordially believe it, but it has given the morals of society at large a tone which deism, so far as it operates, goes to counteract. This is a really an excellent chapter. It's the sixth chapter in the first section of, of this. And uh, he talks a lot about America in there, about what, what, what is happening in America. He's writing this in 1799. So this is like 10 years after the adoption of the uh, Constitution. Uh, and <clears throat> his, observe, his observations of the, of American society built upon its freedom, but built upon also the awakening. He, he, affirms, he affirms that the middle of the 18th century and the Great Awakening prepared America for the freedom that they wanted in the revolution and then prepared them for the writing of their constitution. And he, uh, he quotes George Washington and, uh, and others in this. It's, it's really an, an interesting uh, way of approaching the impact of Christianity, even for those who don't believe, the freedoms and the, and the advantages they have when Christian principles are inserted into a society at large. <clears throat> and he had many ways of comparing that also to what he had observed through the letters of Carey about uh, Indian society, uh, which was, was built upon pagan culture at that time and had many things that, of course, were highly regrettable. He says Christianity is a source of happiness to individuals and society, but deism lives both the one and the other without hope. In section two, he talks about the harmony of the Christian religion considered as an evidence of its divinity. Uh, He discussed this in five chapters. And this again, this is really, really nice stuff. He talks about the harmony of scripture with historic facts Events by the fulfillment of prophecy. There's there's nothing in deism that has anything like that to test its veracity, but Christianity sets itself out there on the stage of history, asking you to test its veracity and ask: Did these prophecies come true? Did this actually happen? Did the Babylonians actually attack Israel? Was there a person actually born of a virgin? Was there one who died on a cross, ostensibly to save people from their sins, as predicted in Isaiah 53? Etc. goes in through so so Christianity has put itself out there in the historic arena, and we find that the Bible's proclamations are actually consistent with history. <clears throat> also, the evidence, the harmony of the Christian religion, that is evinced from its agreement with the dictates of an enlightened conscience, and the result of closest observation. What is its view of sin? What is its view of holiness? What is its view, uh, how does it treat that that people should be forgiving? What does it teach about people being patient? What does it teach about uh, people looking to to hope of the future? What is there about all of these things that produces a a conscience that is void of offense toward God? Does deism have anything like that, that it can say that it promotes that kind of exalted morality and that, that hope of a place wherein dwelleth righteousness. Another, the harmony of the Christian religion with its own professions argued from the spirit and style in which it is written. And so you say, you read the Bible. The Bible admonishes certain things about style and about about morality. Well, does the Bible, does the way the Bible is written, is is it written with that kind of atmosphere? Do you, do you sense the concern for holiness even in the way it's written, in the way that the narrative goes? Do you consent, do you, do you sense this, this idea of we live our lives before God and we're responsible to Him in the way the Bible is written? He said, you cannot read a page of the Bible without realizing that it's filled with the consciousness of God and that we live our lives before Him I mean, you you read the Psalms and it's just all over the place, but it's everywhere. Even read the book of Ecclesiastes. And there's hovering over this, the reality of the absoluteness and the prominence of God and the vanity of everything that is not seeking God first. Uh, And so the style in which it is is written, uh, the consistency of Christian doctrine, particularly that of salvation through a mediator, how this agrees with sober reason, this is a really interesting chapter and uh, he, he, he tries to argue from the standpoint of a, an extended analogy that he gives about how a rebellion in a country actually could be solved when there is a, there is a benevolent a person who is the leader of the country, he doesn't want to kill these people, but how is it he's going to reconcile them to himself and make them profitable members of society again? Can he just do it with just a sweep of the hand or must there, there be someone that comes in between that can arbitrate and work this out so that these people become willing to fit in with the society of this, this ruler who is actually benevolent toward them? And so he argues this case and it's, it's, there's something convincing about it because you have to realize he's arguing to deists. He's not trying to present some people have taken that example of Fuller and tried to say that he's developing his doctrine of atonement out of that. No, that's, that's not what he's doing there. He's, he, he is trying to show that there's a rationality in, in having a mediator who can reconcile rebels to someone who actually has benevolence toward these rebels. But if the rebels will not be reconciled, then he has no option but to exclude them from his country in some way. And so it's only a mediator that can, that can do that. And it's, it's really pretty craftily done. And I think in light of what he's trying to do, well done. And then he has the consistency of Scripture doctrine of redemption with the modern opinion of the magnitude of creation. I wonder what he'd write about now that we've been to the moon and we've had all of these telescopes up there and expanding and expanding. But... But it was happening, of course, at that time. And so he, uh, he, he's, he talks about how the deist is so placid about God uh, creating the world and then sort of leaving it, letting it go in its own energy, having existence in and of itself, not really concerned about it, not really concerned about redemption. And having a very narrow view, I've said, but, but the magnitude of creation, if we, if we understand the magnitude of creation and how increased we are in, our, in our, the idea that God has created this, that God has put it together, that this is, the, this is God's glory, that he magnifies himself in this, that all the, the stars are witnessing to his glory, that, that the heavens are declaring his glory, the magnitude of creation is something that is fully consistent with the witness of Scripture about this great infinite God and what he has created and how many things and how many different kinds of things must actually conspire to glorify him. Uh, And so he he takes that little bit of knowledge and and, uh, subdues it then to the scripture doctrine of creation and how the creation is a manifestation of the glory of God. So that is his the gospel, its own witness. His, his statement against deism. Now that's that's Edwards. Edwards. It's Fuller. It's not Edwards, and it's not Spurgeon, and it's not Luther. It's Fuller. It's Fuller. <coughs> the polemicist. Now we're going to look at Fuller, the systematic theologian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.